welcome to Too Deep, Hokies Under the Influence. My name is Pete Berthod, and my co-host is Robbie Dowling. We had a week off, Robbie. I enjoyed myself on vacation. How was your bye week? It was good. It was uh, uh, focused on some other games, focused on some household uh, items uh, around here with the family. Uh, less, uh, Actually, I, I, I did bet quite a bit, but it, it was not watching as many games as I typically would. But you were you're exploring the Grand Canyon. You were in Vegas. You're the one that was living uh, living the life. Yeah, yeah. We got to spend some time uh, away post-engagement. And, um, you know, it, it was nice to get away from our families asking questions about the date of the marriage and all that kind of stuff uh, just for a week or so. Cause that's Have you guys set a date yet? Yeah, right. <laughs> that's the question from everybody. Been engaged about a week, so <laughs> not uh, no date yet. But um, I'm hoping it doesn't interfere with football season. That's that's the hope. <laughs> well, yeah, uh, we need to stop fall weddings, as everybody always says. My, right. Mine right. was in November, so I am to blame as well. So um, <laughs> yeah, don't do it. Just don't. Uh, start us up with a cheers, man. I want to do two cheers to two things, um, and I'll do them in. Uh, not order of priority because the latter is going to be the priority uh, one. One, congrats to Washington State and getting game day. Uh, Old Crimson's been flying high for 15 years, and they finally got it in Pullman, which is in the absolute middle of nowhere. I learned that it's five hours from the nearest uh, city. So um, oh Pullman God. is literally, uh, most analysts call it, the most remote college town that has a major um, college football program. And and that's including everything. Like you wow. think you think Lincoln is remote. It's even more remote than or Blacksburg uh, or <laughs> Lubbock. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, congrats to um, all those uh, Washington State fans because that was awesome. And then uh, we'll go with the the Tyler Trent uh, story. I don't know. I know you were on the road, but that was incredible. Um, and what happened in at Purdue, and um, you know his story is is sad and, and touching, but. Um, brought out the best in, I think, what we all believe to be college football as a special sport. So um, I think that was that was really touching. It was just really cool to see. And, um, you know, best wishes to, to, to him. And hope um, I know things are, are not looking great. But um, I thought that was, you know, a magical way to bring up the spirits of everybody that's, you know, so focused on the game and the numbers and, and make it bigger than that. So that was uh, that was pretty awesome. So cheers. Very cheers cool. to those. Very cool. Cheers. And that moment for Purdue also came at the expense of your family, or should I say your wife? It did. It did. Yeah. They, uh, yeah, uh, the, there was not a lot of happiness associated with that game. And, um, but it, it, I mean, let's be honest. It, their offense is awesome um, for Ohio State, and their defense. People have been saying it all year long um, has been suspect, and it caught up to them. And it ca- caught up to them at a time that the Purdue team was really playing, you know, the best that they were at home. Yes, they were playing for something. Um, you know, they caught them at a Ohio State. You know, not playing well caught you know caught themselves at the at the worst possible time in terms of taking right. a nail. And it all started with the win over BC for Purdue. And that running back at Purdue, the, the Rondell, I mm-hmm. think his name is. Yep. Um, he's, he's stellar. And he's exceptional. They, they just put it on him. And this was like the Iowa game last year for Ohio State. And if Ohio State manages to lose another game, whether it be to Michigan or in the Big Ten title game, 
they'll be out of the playoff again because of a very bad loss on the road. Uh, but great for Purdue. And, and they were probably the best 0-3 team. Um, the other best 0-3 team was was ODU. <laughs> <laughs> and they finally got their second win yeah. uh, in dramatic fashion. I tweeted the highlights to Robbie on Twitter, and it was a crazy win against Western Kentucky that they had. Thank God they finally got another win, making us just look a little bit less bad for losing to them. God, marginally, the, marginally, mar- and yeah. like fractionally less bad. But it was... Um, that was a really cool thing. And that's when, you know, I hate when I see penalties take over the game, which is what happened there. But yeah. the way that it happened was just so insane yeah. that it's, you know, made for television. Won't go through all the details, but ODU got an untimed down due to a face mask as time expired on a returned missed field goal. Yes. <laughs> and then they kicked a field goal of their own and won the game. It was crazy. To finish out some of the other stuff that happened last week before we get into our news and notes, Clemson crushed NC State. So any of that, like, if NC State beats Clemson and then they stand defeated, uh, maybe we could play them and have a chance to win. No. Clemson put them to bed. Um, We'll see how it affects them going forward because sometimes when you sustain that first loss after being undefeated in kind of a Cinderella way, uh, it doesn't ever go well for you again in the season. We'll see how NC State fares next weekend. They have to go... To the Carrier Dome, not great. Yeah, that's uh, that's not a good place to play. And right now, Clemson um, looks awesome. The only thing I could see, and I'm not not hoping for this or anything of the sort, but the only thing I could see derailing them is an injury to Trevor Lawrence because right now they are firing on all cylinders. So as long as he is healthy, they are going to be very, very good for the rest of the season based on uh, what I saw. We also had our arch rivals UVA beating Duke by a similar margin to what we beat Duke by. So the fear of UVA is, is steadily increasing week after week. I think they're five and two now and we'll see. They've, they've got some tough games. They've got to play Georgia tech like we do coming up here going forward. And who's the other tough game for UVA still left. It's, it's us and they've already played Miami. Uh, I think that that could be it. I'll have to check and we'll, we'll get back to you on that. But if UVA and, and us can just win some games and that becomes a ranked matchup or something, that would be really fun on yeah. Black Friday. Yeah, I would I would enjoy that. So they have Pitt left. They have Georgia Tech, Liberty, UNC. I, I they're basically. I mean, they're as long as they play well, they're going to win out, and it's yeah, really going to come down. Yeah, but we know down. Pitt and UNC can be landmines in your season for sure. I don't know, absolutely, and but. They should. I sh- I'm saying it. They should mm-hmm. win out. Um, They'll be favored uh, until we get to um, playing us, and then we'll we would likely be favored. But they would have if they rattle off four more wins. Then I, it was funny. There was a post. Uh, I think it was on the key play, and I responded to uh, it, and it was talking about the number of people receiving votes, and UVA was getting more votes than us. And I posted something along the lines of like you know. UVA is not going to be an easy game this year. They they look good. In fact, they look better than us right now. Um, and somebody re- responded, and it was before the Duke game, and was like, well, let's see how they do on the road. And then I responded back, well, they were seven and a half point dogs, and they just dismantled uh, Duke uh, 28-14. So um, they were on, went on the road, and um, they handled their business. So that game 
circle it because it's got importance this year, I think, in, uh, yeah. in a lot of respects, as long as we do our part and they do their part. There's only been a few times in the last 14 years that that game has meant the Coastal. And I think 07, 2011, the year that we were very good. I think UVA, if they had beaten us, they would have gone. And I think there might be one more, but it's not often that that game means the division. And the way things are setting up, I'm not ruling Miami out. It just, it could end up like that. And that would be fun and also heart attack inducing (laughs) come Thanksgiving weekend. So we'll see. Let's get in the news and notes. We didn't mention this on our last podcast, but it had been announced. CJ Carroll retired. And I I just wanted to mention it because we thought CJ was developing into a really good player two years ago. And he has been battling this foot problem ever since he really started to emerge at the end of 2016. I feel really bad for him because there were opportunities for him to contribute with the young roster and everything. And it just stinks. And he has to call it quits. And, and Fuente said, you know, there was, a, he was a super fun guy to coach and uh, he's bummed for him, even especially in the pump return game. We could really use him this year. Uh, but you know, he, he's got to call it quits and I feel bad for CJ. Uh, totally. It's, it's horrible. And, but it also starts to clarify a lot of what we've been seeing on the field. So I kept thinking to myself, you know, you know go back and, why aren't we seeing him? He was so productive for a period of time there. And now it really comes to light exactly, you know, how, how significant that injury is and has been. And that's Mm -hmm. why, because he was talented on in slot. He was, you know, a really, really talented uh, wide receiver. And um, I, you know, I feel bad for him, but um, appreciate everything he's done for the program. Obviously. Yeah, and we're going to talk about one more uh, bad note before we get into some good stuff, and that's DeAndre Planton announced he's transferring. Planton was thought to be our starting right guard. Over time, it seemed that Chung has been playing that spot with Hoyt playing center, and Lasita Smith has been playing. We've seen Austin Cannon get some snaps. So I guess Planton just felt like after he graduates, he's going to do the grad transfer thing next year so he can play immediately. He just felt like it wasn't in the cards for him at Tech. I don't know all the details, but losing some depth there at a guy that we know had potential is disappointing. Yeah, uh, and somewhere that we thought we had a lot of depth and um, you know had some depth for years to come, and he was going to be part of that. But yeah, you know, these things happen. I, I don't know what his decision making process was, or whether you know he didn't think he had a road to be a starter. I don't know. I. I I, it's difficult to figure out what was going on in that situation, but wish him the best, obviously, and and hope he has, um, you know, a smooth transition to wherever he transfers to and and gets to make an impact on whatever program he ends up at. For sure. Hokey Hoops ranked number fifteen in the preseason AP poll. To me, for a team that's only got one big man in Kerry Blackshear, that seems a little high. Yeah. But it did, when you, I know you, somebody sent it out. Maybe you sent it out. When you look at the photo, don't you kind of think, man, everybody on this team's been here for like fourteen years? Like it's true. <laughs> yeah, we are a veteran team, and that's part of the reason for the ranking. Mm-hmm. With a veteran point guard and just a, and a very talented two guard in Nikhil Alexander Walker. You add in Landers Nolly, the blue chip recruit. Everyone thinks he's going to score a lot of points for us immediately. He's the second tallest guy on the team. I think he's like <laughs> six foot seven. So it's going to be interesting. We thought we were small ball to the extreme last year. 
just wait because it's, it's going to be, be even, even even more small this year. Yeah, like I think the the unique thing this year is we have veteran depth as well, so we can rotate people. That's what you got to like if you're going to play small ball and play fast and kind of loose. You know, the whole thing is how long can you sustain that? Now we have some depth to do that yeah. as well, which veteran depth, not just like, you know, you're bringing somebody off the bench because you, mm-hmm. you, know, you want to. So people, the only thing that I know about this team, other than 15 does seem a little bit high, is that people are going to be walking out of every game with us gassed. They are going to be tired. And whether that wins games or doesn't win games, I guess that's to be seen. But they are going to be tired <laughs> by the yeah. time we get done with this. We not only have a lot of seniors on the team, we have a lot of graduates. Ty Outlaw is back from the injury. Chris Clark, Ahmed Hill, already mentioned uh, Robinson at the point. So it's a lot of experience. We'll see if it translates to a lot of wins early in the year and if they can power through the ACC with just that one big. It's That's where it's going to be tough is when you get into those ACC games twice a week and you've only got one big. God forbid Blackshear takes an injury, you know. We'll see, but I'm excited. We haven't been ranked in the preseason in a long time. Uh, I think maybe since Delaney's junior or senior year. So it's uh, it's fu- it's going to be fun, and that's getting started, I think, early in November for those first games. Yeah, and they're going to try and get him to foul out, and there then we will have nobody that's big. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> that that's going to be the goal for them is to draw fouls uh, from from him. So um, we, then we will be playing true small ball probably the smallest in the country <laughs> i know our highest ranked team in decades and probably our shortest quite honestly maybe the shortest if you went by average yep the last thing i had is dax is wearing 25 for the game against georgia tech pretty cool for the true freshman and the team will be wearing maroon helmets and maroon jerseys for orange effect which i think is pretty hilarious yeah i i couldn't really piece that one together, but I'm glad. Dax- I think it's because we lost to ODU wearing orange. <laughs> Probably. Um, maybe the maybe everybody's getting uh, as superstitious as we are. But uh, another freshman wearing 25. So this is the second time. Uh, you know, two weeks and not two weeks in a row, but you know, two games in a row. We got a freshman um, wearing 25 and. Let's see how it goes. I I don't know about the color scheme associated with. I guess we just want some contrast between what's in the stands and what's on the field. But um, yeah, it seems a little counterintuitive. But we'll go with it. I'll take anything. Yeah, let's just let's just play well, regardless <laughs> of what we're wearing. I think we got to take a beer break, given how early we uh, or how that we're only doing one game here. Yeah, right? yeah, we're gonna we're gonna fly through GT. So let's take one now, and then we'll do one after. Robbie, what are you drinking? So I am drinking the Hoffen Fluister, er, it's got two ERs on the ER, ER on the other. I gotcha. Fluister. Um, it is a melon India, or IPA, 7.2%. It's one of those pints. It's got some cool graphics, but the it's a little bit confusing because you can't actually see the, it's the name of it. It's from Commonwealth. I've had Commonwealth a few times on it on here from um, Virginia Beach. And quite frankly, they're, I think, one of the most up-and-coming Virginia breweries out there um, right now. And I say up-and-coming. There's obviously a lot of notable ones, especially out of Richmond, places like that. But this, um, you know, Commonwealth has been putting out really good beers in high demand. Every 
you know, beer shop I go to, they are front and center because of how well that they're selling. They have the big poppy. They have a ton of really great IPAs, double IPAs. And this one is no different. It's not, doesn't have a ton of melon in it. I actually had it a few nights ago with my wife and we both said the same thing. There's not a ton of melon in it, but it's just a really, really good IPA. So Commonwealth did it again with another one of their, uh, their IPAs and it's delicious. I have to try Commonwealth. I'm, I may have had one of their beers in the past at like World of Beer or something, but it's been a little while. I am drinking the Flagstaff IPA. I was in the Southwest, like Robbie said. We drove up through Flagstaff. We actually stopped and had lunch at the brewery called Lumberyard, and that's where this beer is from. And this Flagstaff IPA is really, really good. This place seemed to have pretty wide distribution. You could get their beers at bars in the Grand Canyon. You could get them in Vegas. So I, I feel like any of our Hokies living out there have probably had Lumberyard Brewing before. This IPA is just your standard like right down the middle IPA, 6.1%, a little darker in color, not hazy at all. And it says it's brewed at 7,000 feet. And I think it works for him because it tastes really good. I, I've really enjoyed it. I bought a six-pack of it while I was out there and drank them at the Aria. I actually tweeted, uh, I guess I Instagrammed a picture for some of the people. You could see the can and stuff. And most of those beers that I tried were pretty good. Um it's fun going to different areas of the country these days with how many breweries there are. You can really just like expand your palate a ton, even if you've never heard of any of the any of the beers. You just kind of jump right in, and I had a lot of fun. But the Flagstaff IPA from Lumberyard, I would recommend it. I like it. So Georgia Tech, Thursday night, 7.30 p.m. We're on national TV again, another night game. I'm excited for the Thursday night. Uh I think this game is going to help us get over the hump. We'll see what you think as we go forward here, but Georgia Tech's not having a very good season so far. No, as you astutely re- reminded us today on Twitter, which gave me the shivers up my spine, um, <laughs> they have wins against Alcorn State, Bowling Green, and Louisville, and Bowling Green might be the best win of those three. So, yeah. um, And Louisville... Bowling Green might be the best win of those three. <laughs> so um, Georgia Tech is not good um, right now based on most of the stats and the teams that they've played and what they've been doing from everything I can take. Well, yeah, if you just look at the basic stuff, the three wins you've already noted, the losses, you, no one's going to fault you for losing to Clemson, but they lost to Pitt, and they were down 21 nothing at one point in that game. They lost to Duke. Really no shame there, but it was 28-14. to 14, And they both teams had three turnovers, so that wasn't really – it was even on both sides, and they still lost by two TDs. And they lost to USF, who's a pretty good team. They're 73rd in the Massey Composite, 87th according to the Kali Matrix, which was one of the former rankings that was used for the BCS. So a fairly well-known ranking in Kali, and they're 87th out of 130 teams. So they're not good. And you can see it by just their wins in general. And when you watch them play, yeah, their offense is good, but their defense is actually worse than it's been. And and it was never good under Ted Roof. They brought in a new defensive coordinator, and it's still not good. And and we'll st- talk about their offense first because that is the better side of the ball. And Taekwon Marshall is a speedy quarterback who has battled through injuries uh, both last year and this year to play in just about every game. He's had to leave the game a few times, making Tobias Oliver take snaps. And Oliver has been used a lot. He's been used, I think, running the ball without uh, playing quarterback and as a quarterback. 
and they've just got a lot of good guys that can carry the football. I just don't think that the consistency is there for Georgia Tech. Over a 60-minute game, they've rarely put it together to the point where they can just dominate their opponent. I went to the Rambling Wreck website, and this was the headline for the game against Virginia Tech, which I, I love this because pick out which of these stats actually mean something in terms of what you know. You and I like Bill C because he like talks about what correlates to winning games. In many ways, Georgia Tech does not fit the statistical profile of a sub-500 team. Offensively, the Jackets rank among the top 30 teams this season in rushing. Well, they're a triple option, so that would uh, I would hope they rank in the top thirty in rushing. So, and they're first. No one at three hundred. Yeah, they're nationally <laughs> number one in rushing offense, <laughs> passing yards per completion. That's because they only throw the ball like five times, and when they do, it's always downfield at seventeen point eight. They're third in the country in passing um, time of possession. Um, well, it's a triple option. So yeah, time of possession. I'm hoping they're leading. They're 15th in the country, so that's actually not that good. And then defensively, Tech ranks among the nation's top 15 teams in both defensive touchdowns, tied for third, and takeaways for 16. That's That was it. So basically, all of those stats, other than I agree with the takeaways having being an indicator of being, but for a triple option, that that's their headline for why they shouldn't be sub 500. None of those things address all the problems with this program right now. And most of those fall on the defensive side of the ball. And quite frankly, they're not rushing the ball quite as well as they have in past years as well. So that's that. I thought that was amusing. I read it and I had to scratch my head and read it again. Yeah. Their, their statistical profile, uh, while that headline and, and first few lines there aren't telling the whole story, it is a little bit confusing because they have put up numbers offensively, but when you pile up 66 points against Louisville and another 400 some yards versus Bowling Green and uh, South Florida, whose defense is a little bit suspect, like it skews how good the team actually is. And when they've played any ACC team with a pulse, they've only scored 21 points. And that, that's against Clemson, that's against Pitt, that's against Duke. The, the maximum they scored in any of those games was 21. And I'm pretty sure it was against Pitt. Like you said, they're first in the nation in rushing. They're up 50 yards in terms of rush yards per game than they were last year. But you have to consider the opponents. And as the season goes on, I'm sure that will come down. When they play UVA, Miami, us, I'm, I'm hoping it comes down against us. They're averaging 350 rush yards per game. If we give up 350 we're, we're not going to win, I, I wouldn't think. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree with that. And S&P Plus still has them as a 39% win expectancy against us, which I thought was was pretty startling um, when I looked at it. And the S&P hates, hate, hates us, rightfully so, but from a statistical standpoint, we have not been achieving in the way that um, S&P usually likes people to achieve. So that's, that's the reason for that. So our S&P is 51st. They stand at 64th. So yeah, they're they're pretty close in the S&P. And like you said, the S&P has not been kind to us. It's for a variety of reasons, one of which is we lost to a team that is incredibly bad uh, statistically in ODU. Maybe, maybe a little bit statistically better than their record, but still very bad. And that's dragging us down. And we haven't been as efficient on defense. We're giving up those long plays, which we did some against particularly Georgia Tech last year. If you think back, they had those 
two plays on offense, a 60-yard play and an 80-yard play. They don't only preview, the ball. Don't preview what I that that was going to be my angle on this. Now you're just you're you're putting it out to you're giving it to everybody. That was going to be my angle on this whole game. Well, it's no mystery that they had two completions last year and they both went for touchdowns. I think they're going to have two completions for touchdowns <laughs> in this game. That was going to be my point and what I'm worried about. <laughs> yeah, I'm 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 worried about it. And it's not like Marshall's a good passer and he's not just a bad passer. He's also having a very bad QBR season. And QBR takes into account rushing and it takes into account down and distance as I've emphasized a couple different times throughout this season. He has a 43.3 QBR. That's about half as good as Ryan Willis. And that's with all of his rushing yards and passing yards and his 12 total touchdowns. He's not having a great season. He's put the ball on the ground a few times. Um, it, it, it's it's a weird I, – I don't know how to – because they're – their S&P on offense is, what, 21? They're 19th in yards per play. And yet Marshall's having a, his worst season, a, a very bad stretch of games, and they lost Curvante Benson, their number one B-back. They've got good weapons at A-back because Lynch and Searcy are back. And Tobias Oliver, like as we talked about, has filled in well at times. But something's not adding up here because – I can't put my finger on why they're ranked so well offensively, but their quarterback is having seemingly a bad season. Efficiency. So I'd love to get Bill on our podcast sometime because it's all being driven by their efficiency numbers. That That is what it is. He has, you know, if you ever look into like what, you know, Bill tracks, it's efficiency versus explosiveness. Those are the two things that he always kind of, you know, gravitates to. And that's the way he does a lot of his stuff. So on rushing S&P, in terms of um, rushing S&P, they're third in the country, obviously. Standard downs, third in the country. But when you get into it, in explosiveness, they're 40th in the country. In efficiency, they're second. I mean, that's a triple option. That's literally the definition of it. It's, you know, we don't, we don't go big, but we, we are going to get first downs again and again and again. So I, I think that's where the difference is, is, and that's also where my concern is, is, is our defense deep enough to handle this type of offense that's going to ground and pound, you know, MMA style against you, uh, you know, for, for the total of a game and whether we have the depth to sustain that. But I think, I think, and I don't run the numbers he does. I think that's where the difference is, is the efficiency versus the explosiveness. You know, if you look at, you know, I, I imagine if you look at Oklahoma, their explosiveness is probably off the charts. If you look at Alabama right now with Tua, that's probably off the charts. But that's not what they run. Like that, that they run things that can get first downs and can be efficient and get a number of yards on based on what down you're in. Yeah, and I would also imagine that even with everything that QBR takes into account, it's hard for it to measure the true efficiency of a triple option quarterback. It's just more difficult because it's largely based on passing. Rushing is taken into account, but it's just, it's hard for it to adjust probably. And and Marshall's a threat. We don't have to look at any numbers to know that he can be a problem. But as we mentioned last week, it's not just the player that's playing. It's the backup. There's not much drop-off either. So when Tobias comes in the game, Tobias Oliver, the freshman, there's not really much drop off, and that was the same thing that happened two years ago. Whoever the starter was, was it Thomas? He yeah. didn't play. They put in Jordan, 
and he ended up going out to a 20-point lead against us. And that's the thing about this offense. It's plug and play. Benson's out for the year. No big deal. Play the freshman Jordan Mason. Play Jerry Howard. You know, they both are having fantastic seasons. Everyone on their roster is averaging over 5.4 yards per carry. It's pretty insane. Like anyone that's playing meaningful snaps, I should say. And Howard, one of their better B-backs, is the lowest on the team at 5.4. So they're they're very efficient, as you have already said. And that's what our young defense is going to have to battle all night. I am optimistic about our defense, mainly because Bud has taught it to so many players over time. And some of the guys playing key positions, I think, are potentially in a better situation than we've been in years past. What happened to us before and is all of a sudden Georgia Tech was like, hey, yeah, they're going to try and stop the run. So we're just going to like run, 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 run. Oh, 25 yard pass over the top. And that's a touchdown. Like run, run, run. And then we get sucked in and, you know, a 40 yard pass over. Like, no, there's no um, doubt that Marshall is not a good passer. But those players were so wide open that if you put me back there, I think if as long as I could actually launch one about 30 yards, then nobody could actually miss those. And, that's what I'm worried about, and I'm assuming that Bud, you know, kind of licked his wounds and re- remembers that game because that's that's exactly what happened. We stuffed the run, um, and the, the the rushing yards were not that significant for them, and it was like two passes for like 70 yards each, and that's what kind of changed the game. So there's listen, Bud's the best in the business. I'm assuming he remembers how things can go that direction, but. Yeah, there. If we just plan to stop the run and think that that's going to solve everything, that we're just putting ourselves in the same position that we were last time this happened. Um, because I feel more confident against our rush defense than I do with our secondary, which it makes me even more scared. Like the the problems that we've had in the past with Georgia Tech, who passes the ball like five times a game. Uh, well, it was actually 17 last game versus 27 for Duke. There's a stat for you that you'll never see again. Um, that's um, that's a little bit frightening for for me. And I know the circumstances had to play out that way because they were coming from behind. But you know, what can that's that's pretty staggering. It is staggering, and it, and you're right. It was the situation, and Marshall had left the game, and uh, you know Oliver's in there, and and it's you know that's a one game example, but it's all the more reason to be a little bit nervous because we have had the problems in the secondary. And when Georgia tech has chosen to pass, even when we had veteran guys back there, it was a problem. The reason I feel a little bit more confident this time around, is just that Reggie Floyd is so good against the run. He's more experienced. Ladler at whip, I think is the X factor. And if you remember Kyle Fuller three years ago, we even had someone tweet this at us, but we're all well aware of how well Fuller played in that game. I think it was 2013 yeah. where he came in and he was playing the whip and he was up at the line of scrimmage causing all these problems. And Georgia Tech didn't know what to do and we ended up winning the game. That could be Ladler in this game. I, I think he is a huge swing factor. Mook was kind of banged up all season. And let's face it, he had his issues all of last year. So did Terrell. So did the entire secondary. I think... This construction of players, especially with Ashby in the middle and Ladler and Floyd, I think we might be better against the run 
against Georgia Tech. We, we've had our breaks, and UNC took advantage of a team coming down off a Notre Dame game. And last year, Georgia Tech took advantage of a team coming down off a Miami game. There are no excuses this year. Uh, our quarterback, seemingly, is 100%. No, he's not the quarterback that started the season, but he's healthy. Josh wasn't healthy last year. The team has had a bye week. We're at home. The excuses are all eliminated. It's time for this team and this defense to grow up a little bit. It's time to, for them to play assigned football and shut down one of the more efficient offenses in the country. I think some of that efficiency is based on who they've had to play. I don't think Georgia Tech's really all that good. And when they pile up these yards versus Louisville and the other bad teams, I think that's compensating for some of the really bad play they had versus Pitt, really bad versus Clemson, and really, really bad versus Duke as well. So let's use Duke's blueprint, let's use Clemson's blueprint, and let's shut them down. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And I think your point about Ashby is is an important one. I know I've been singing his praises, but the guy's only a sophomore. I know we're treating him like a you know a four year vet at a senior, but uh, he has been exceptional. He leads the team in run stuffs. Um, he's tied for the lead and tackles for a loss. He has been all over the field, and that's what makes me very very confident or more confident against the run with him back there um, at linebacker. But um, that I I don't. I don't know that stopping the run is is really going to solve all 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 things for us. We just we got to have the secondary be paying attention because if you remember those passes that Georgia Tech played on us, it was remember the secondary got sucked in and we were playing aggressive and it was almost like Paul Johnson wanted to take a sack. Like he was like, "Yeah, bring everybody in. Like get pressure, get pressure, get pressure." And we don't throw the ball, but yep, over the top. There it is. <laughs> Yeah, and we saw it all of last year, and we've seen it this year too with this uh, break-but-don't-bend defense, and it's annoying, and I'm hoping at some point sooner than later it stops happening. Um, I'm hoping that Diablo is fully healthy and out there, and I'm I'm just hoping the defense as a whole raises their level of play because we're really going to need it to win this game. This is a big turning point in the season and when we get to the things the overall thoughts of the game that's going to be like what i want to focus on is the swing factor of this game and what it means for our season what it means going forward to next year let's talk about their defense before we do that their defense is 104th in the s&p plus they're 73rd in yards per play they're switching over to a new system, so I guess that's somewhat responsible. They were never very good under Ted Roof, although that didn't stop them from beating us three out of the last four years. But they bring in the guy from App State and defensive coordinator Nate Woody. They switch to a 3-4, and that's made their defensive line slightly better because you know you have more guys squeezing into fewer positions, but their linebacking core has suffered. None of those guys are putting up any decent numbers. They've got one defensive end in uh, Henri St. Amour, who's caused a problem for teams. He had two sacks for Stuke, seven and a half tackles for loss overall. Serge Henderson, we've heard his name for a couple years. He has four tackles for loss. But even their 335-pound nose tackle, Brandon Adams, he's not putting up eye-popping numbers either, just three tackles for loss for him. It's not a good defense. If you want to go into the secondary, they've got one guy in Mark Rivera playing. Are there anybody? Is there anybody I'm missing here? No, 
they are challenging UConn for the worst defense in the country at this point. So <laughs> statistically, that's not like that's not me judging anybody. That statistically, they are that bad. They're in the one twenties in most statistical categories in in defense um, based on S and P. Um, I think I agree with you. With I think Andre Saint Amour should run for office or something because that name is fantastic, and it's only the second hyphenated name because Kyle, as you said, Sertanson is also a hyphenated name. Um, but he's he's been good. He has two two sacks and he has four on the year, but nobody else is really producing that much. He has seven and a half tackles for a loss, and that's almost twice as much as anybody else on the on the team. So. That is really, um, you know, at the defensive line, probably their best position. Their pass defense is downright terrible. It's horrific. Um, and I'm hopeful if we want to bring up like some of the you know bright spots that we can see here, I think we're going to have a lot of success there um, given the offensive weapons that we have downfield. And um, they're... Their run defense is not even that good either. I mean, it's okay, but they're still like 80th, 90th in the country. So overall, I don't, I don't have that many names because this is a really, really poor defense based on what they've put on the field so far this year. Yeah, it's been bad. And they're 119th in tackles for loss per game as a defense, the exact same as last year. However, that didn't prevent them from giving Josh all kinds of hell last year. So with Georgia Tech... It's always like this. It's always like they should suck. They're not very good. And they play their best game this season against us. And it's kind of happened two games, two years in a row now. And it's annoying. And the fact that they get to a, get to come to a stadium that's going to be very loud, that can sometimes work against us. And that's what we've learned about these night games in lane sometimes is that although it seems like an advantage for us, Sometimes it can be an advantage for the opposing team too because Duke and North Carolina and Georgia Tech and Miami, they play in half-full stadiums all the time. And when they get to play in a full stadium, that kind of pumps them up. So let's hope for none of that effect. I think We should pass on this team. I think that's an underrated comment. That, that is the truth. Like We take teams that should not be beating us and we actually turn them into, you know... <laughs> Yeah, I'll go back. I'll flash back to my intro, the Purdue situation, right? Purdue should not be beating, but you put them in that environment with those, you know, and I know that was a home game. So a little bit different, but they were playing for something more like you're giving when you give people that energy and then you also suck away the energy from, you know, the, the, the other team. I think that is the danger here is it's a night game. It's a Thursday night game and Georgia tech's been staring this and circled on the schedule because these two teams don't really like each other and the style of football that they play and the way that they play. And you know, the, the absolutely they've been looking at this game saying, you know, we're going to get juiced up for it and they will be. And I bet if you watch the, the game and you'll see them come out on the field with a whole lot more energy than you probably have seen, um, earlier in the season. Yeah, I'd, I'd probably agree with you on that. I'm hoping uh, one area of difference in the game, and this is the last thing we'll say before we do overall thoughts and picks, is that they're 105th in special teams. We are 10th in the S&P Plus in special teams. I think this could very well be the difference in the game, whether it's field goals or punt returns 
or field position because of good punts or a fumble on a punt return by them. And it could swing the other way too, but I think special teams is going to play a big role in this game. You don't want to have to rely on special teams all the time, but it's something we've done for a couple decades now. So it's okay with me if we need to lean on Coach Shabest and the special teams to help us get a win because this is going to be a competitive game. Shabest has been awesome. And uh, unless you follow the program really closely, I don't think he gets recognized the the people that follow like everything know how good Shabest has been but he has literally carried on with the special teams like nothing changed you know since Bieber has been gone and in fact in some ways there was a little bit of a trail off in the special teams for Virginia Tech and he's actually picked it back up and gotten more improved whether it's pinning people inside of the 10 you know inside the 15 on punting punt returns you know, it's it's just been very very efficient. So I, I agree with you. I think that could be the game changer in, in what is supposed to be a very close game with a two and a half point spread at home, which basically means, you know, two you get you get three points or two and a half depending on who you're looking at, um, whether if you're at home. So this is a this is a pick'em game basically. Yeah. If um, it were in a neutral site, it would be a pick'em. Yeah. So. Um, that, then you need something like special teams to really open things up. All right, let's take one more beer break before we finish our thoughts and do our picks. So, Pete, what are you drinking over there? I'm having the Blonde Honey. It's from Wild Wolf Brewing Company, which is from Nellysford, VA. That's just west of Charlottesville, between Charlottesville and Roanoke. It's kind of in the middle of nowhere, but the Blonde Honey a Belgian-style blonde ale brewed with honey and spices. This is another uh, gift from my buddy Nick. It's really, really good. And it's much lighter and different than the IPA, but the sweetness from the honey really takes any kind of sting out of changing beer flavors. I feel like you've had some Wild Wolf Brewing on the podcast before. Uh, I think so. Um, Well, I don't know. No, I had a... um... I think I had a beer that was a wild wolf, but it was done by a different brewery. And uh, it, it was you, like, that was like our second episode. That was, it was a long time ago. <laughs> that yeah. was probably 150 episodes ago. That's a uh, <laughs> pretty good memory from, uh, from you. What are you drinking, man? I'm drinking a raspberry impress sour IPA from crooked run brewing. And uh, I've, I've started to expand and, you know, I drink a lot more, stouts now and sours and but to call this a sour ipa i think it's just just marketing i guess the best it's just it's just a sour right they just threw the ipa in there just to make sure that in case you were like walking by and you're like well it's an ipa so and it's sour so maybe i'll give it a shot um and crooked run is in sterling virginia I love their beers. They have amazing IPAs, so it's nothing against Crooked Run. I just don't... I like this. It's just very... Um, it's a little bit different. I thought there was going to be the unique take on it, but it's just kind of a, a your typical, you know, kind of sour. The raspberry flavor is very good, but I was looking for something different, like if it was going to have more of a hoppy finish. There's nothing IPA about this beer. It's basically just a sour, which is is fine, and it's actually really good. But um, I feel deceived. <laughs> yeah, those sours, I always feel deceived after I've had one because it's rare that uh, 
that I like them. I like the more mild sours. Is that how you classify that one? Yeah. You say it's- I would say it's more mild, and that's probably why they put the IPA on there is that like they, they did throw a bunch of hops in there to kind of you know make the, the bite a little bit more um, palatable and not quite as in your face. So that's probably where it is because it is a little bit more mild than like an in-your-face true sour. Um, but uh, I, I honestly, I do like it, but it's... Um, you know, it's it's not it's your a, wheelhouse. <laughs> yeah, well, no, it's just not. You know, you wouldn't drink it in the winter. Like you're going to drink like a heavy stout mm-hmm. porter in the middle of winter or something like that. And you wouldn't drink a, a sour when it's 13 degrees outside or whatever. So we're transitioning seasons. I'm trying to transition my palate along with it. Yeah, I know. I that's this was a tough episode because I was we did the pumpkin and you know I got some stouts coming up, but I'm you know do an IPA, do a little. Belgian for some lightness towards the end of the podcast. I felt that was fitting. Um, it's you're right. We're kind of we are in the middle here, and I love the winter ales and the winter porters and all that kind of stuff. All the spiced like drinks that come out this time of year, I'm really into that, so I'm excited for it. But yeah, we're we're easing our way into the uh, real real cold, which kind of hit this past week. So let's do our overall thoughts before we make the pick, Robbie. The offense is actually quite good for Georgia Tech. If you want to just go by rushing yards per game, it's their best in years. And throughout the season, as I said, that will come down. But they're over 350 yards. They haven't been over 350 yards since 09, and that's as far back as CFB stats goes. And so it makes me nervous, but at the same time, I look at who they've played, and I look at their defense. It's not very good. If we can just limit them to maybe two big plays, two 60-yard, two 50-yard plays instead of three, I think we win the game. I think it's really going to come down to how risky do they want to get in in this game. So do they want to pull the move where they start throwing the ball and throwing the ball deep? Um, Because if they don't and they keep it on the ground, they will get some chunk plays. I, I can't, you know, that we saw it. We saw it against Notre Dame when you saw that six yard gap where, um, um, what's his name ran for, you know, whatever, 90 yards for a touchdown. But I do think that if we keep it on the ground and we keep it in front of us uh, relatively, they will get some chunk plays, but that'll give us a chance to win. Um, pretty, pretty handily because I think this defense in the, especially in the secondary, their defense is very, very suspect. And I think Ryan Wilson is starting to feel comfortable with his wide receivers. I've made my points about whether he's targeting certain players too much, which I'm, I'm worried about. But I'm not even sure that their secondary can keep up with Hazleton uh, in, in any way, shape, or form. He might pull off one of those Cam Phillips you know, games where he has 12 receptions for you know, yeah. 200 yards. Yeah, he's due for one of those big games, and I think it could come in this one. I think we're not going to have trouble scoring, and I know Fuente's gotten in his head about possessions. He always talks about that with Georgia Tech. With You know you're going to have limited possessions because of how much they hold on to the ball and this and that, and he screwed himself up last year. He went for two when it was 14-9. to nine. He went for it on fourth down at the eight-yard line. Third and fourth down. <laughs> Remember that? Yeah. That was a- <laughs> At the end of the game, yeah, he went for it. But I'm saying there was a fourth down at the eight-yard line, and he decided to go for it instead of kicking a field goal and taking three points. So these are the little things that he gets in his head about. That needs to be forgotten. 
he needs to treat this like a regular pro style team and just go out there and score points and let Bud do his thing. You, you got to eliminate whatever psyching you out from beating Georgia Tech the last two years because it hasn't been a good football team. They've beaten us five times out of the 14 times we've played since joining the ACC. So we're nine and five. Four of those times for Georgia Tech came when they were having nine and 10 win seasons. So good for them. They beat us when they're having a good year. Last year, that wasn't a good football team. They shouldn't have beat us. The whole thing was a game of gaffes for our coaching staff. The team was beaten up. They had all the travel issues coming down from Miami. This Georgia Tech team is also bad. There's no no excuses. There's no tiredness. There's no anything. The quarterback is arguably better than we've had in the last three or four years. You've got to win this game. You've got to like put all the BS aside and play better because it's if Fuente loses this game, I was talking to you about this before we started. There's no like silver lining if we come close or whatever. This is a binary result. If you beat Georgia Tech, if you win by one, you've gotten over the hump, you're 4-0 in the ACC, and you're off to the races. If you lose, it's sky is falling tight stuff because UVA could win the division and you can't beat Georgia Tech, who's a bad football team by every metric, and it's a joke of an offense, and you know they're playing a 50-year-old offense and you still can't beat them. Like, What are you doing wrong? Bud's going to have all these question marks too. It's it, this is a big swing game for us in the season. I agree with everything that you just said. It, it is a huge game. I think it's and I put out today. Like somebody responded to us, I put it out on Twitter. It's even more important for next year. Getting over the hump is more important. Nobody has aspirations of us making the college football this year, or the playoff this year, right? We do have those aspirations, whether it's next year or 2020, etc. You need to get over this hump, and um, so I 100% agree with that and. I think that if Bud can control and calm down the secondary and he doesn't pull in, which is my number one concern, pull in the secondary and start, you know, blitzing and you know, and, and and pulling everybody in and then laving a, just a stupid 40-yard touchdown pass over the top, if we can avoid doing that, they will get a lot of yards on us, but I think we will win the game. Is how I'm I'm, I'm saying that is Yes, they will put up yards on it and there will be chunk 15, 20-yard plays that we all just you know wring our hands and get really mad about, but will not affect the long-term outcome of the game because we can win in the long run. I think if you win the turnover battle, even if it's by one, and you limit the big plays to two, you win the game and cover the spread, which is two and a half. You, you win the game by three. This could be 44 to 41 when it's all said and done because I think our defense is going to give up a lot of plays. And if it starts snowballing, then it's just going to go higher and higher and higher, and you're going to have to rely on the offense to pick up points. Ultimately, I don't think we're giving up more than 25 points to Georgia Tech. I I just, I really don't. Can we get to the 28 mark is, is really what I'm thinking about. Can we get to 28 points? If we get to 28 points, I think we win the game. And how long of an ice bath is Ashby going to have to take after all this? That's basically the real question. Because if, like, if if somebody said Ashby was injured for this game and wasn't going to be in, I would bet my money on Georgia Tech if Ashby was out of this game because he's going to have to play a critical, oh, yeah. critical role. And if he, um, 
not a pressure situation, but if he's off his game or he sees things differently or he doesn't play to, I think, what um, the potential that we all see in him, we could be in big trouble. Yeah, the whole defensive line is going to have to play well. Ricky and Hewitt and, and Gaines, who's who's been spectacular, and Belmar's been filling in nicely for Hill, but those linebackers, including Ashby, including Ladler, and Rivers and Dax wearing the 25, that's kind of a cool boost for Dax. Maybe Dax will start. I don't know. That's something to, to look for because Dax has been good and arguably better than Rivers on the whole. I He always seems to be in the right spot, so – that linebacker play behind what is a stout D-line. It's not a great D-line, but it's stout, is the key to the game. It laddlers the key, and bringing up Floyd and protection from the safety spot, that that's key too. To me, if, I said it on Twitter, if Fuente can't beat them this year, it may not happen for him. Because although we don't have our best Virginia Tech team, the way the matchups are, this should be a win. Like where it is, it's, you know, we're at home, we are rested, we have time to prepare a young defense for the triple option. All signs point to like, you have everything in your favor to win the game. So if you don't do it, it it, it might never happen for Fuente because he's just, he can't seem to get out of his head. Yeah. We'll find out on Thursday. Yeah. And I think about it even like a, a step further, which is just, it's for us to grow into the future as a football program. This we gotta get past this hump because it is it's not going anywhere. Although Paul Johnson's got to retire at some point because I think he's 150 years old. So uh, maybe retire I, or getting fired, but it won't be due to us. Yeah, because if if you if they miss a bowl this year, they're three and four. If they miss a bowl, that'll be three times in four years. They had an 18 year streak of going to a bowl before that. Yeah, no, I agree. He's on the hot seat if they have a losing season. Yeah. And my only point and is... And we have like, nothing to do with it. <laughs> yes. And we did not uh, to, to contribute to that. All right, let's pick these games. The line is two and a half. We're the favorite. We're at home. It's a pick em if we're at a neutral site, as we talked about earlier. Uh, I'm going to make you go first on this one, Robbie. Oh, no. Uh, I'm going to pick uh, Virginia Tech. Oh, I like it. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna elaborate. I'm not gonna do anything. I'm just gonna stick with the way that I do my betting on a normal week in week out. That's just what I'm doing. It's really hard to take out the VT homerism at times. I think we both try to do it as much as we can, but we get sucked in just like anybody else. I think Virginia Tech's going to win. It's gonna be by twenty, or it's gonna be by two. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's that's kind of where I'm at. So I'm going to take Georgia Tech and hope for that two-point victory for spread reasons, but any victory for Virginia Tech reasons. I like it. It's a good move. Next game, Miami going to Boston College on Friday night. This should be a fun one. A.J. Dillon looks like he's back. The ankle is healthier. And Miami, three-and-a-half-point favorites on the road. I'll go first. I'm going to take BC. I'm going to take him to win outright. I agree. It's going to be BC. And if you haven't been up to Chestnut Hill, uh, there's no atmosphere up there. It's quiet. There's not going to be a bunch of hoopla. Although, this is the Halloween game, though. Oh, that's right. It is the Halloween they game. They always dress. Ooh, this could be even better. So now I'm definitely going BC. The BC, the only time Chestnut Hill 
and they show up in what is it, alumni stadium or i think it's called you should know you went there for grad school correct yeah and how many games did i go to zero because i went to <laughs> one game and it's when they played virginia tech that's okay. that's all i went to i think it's alumni stadium the only game that they show up for all season is the halloween game so nice now we got an atmosphere so it's definitely going to be bc that would help us out in the coast a little bit too and we got bc the following week so even if they win, let's hope Miami beats them up a bit. Next game, Clemson at Florida State. Clemson's number two after their thrashing of NC State. And they're 17-point favorites on the road in Tallahassee. This is kind of a funny one. Why don't you go first? Uh, you're putting this one on me. Um, I'm going to go Florida State. I know that's completely counterintuitive given what I've I've said about them, but... Florida State's starting to turn it around a little bit, so I I feel like they have a chance in this game. Just that they're not going to come close to winning this game, um, but I think they could maybe keep it within fourteen, something along those lines. I'm with you. I'm taking FSU as well. DeAndre Francois has the second most passing touchdowns in the ACC. Eric Dungy has the most total touchdowns at eighteen, but. The leader for passing touchdown in the ACC, Anthony Brown of BC, <laughs> and directly behind him, DeAndre Francois. I think this rivalry alone will keep this within 17 points, but yeah. we shall see. Next game, UNC at UVA. Good luck. UVA, nine-point favorites. You're up. It makes sense when you look at the records, but hearing UVA is almost a double-digit favorite against anyone – is kind of strange. I don't. I don't know whether Vegas knows that UVA is good, relatively good, right? You say good is a top fifty team. They're a top fifty mm-hmm. team, is how I always characterize it. If you don't think that, then you haven't been watching college football all season. They're a good team. Whether they're nine point favorites over. And I know it's at home, but nine-point favorites over UNC, you get to pick this one first. I texted you earlier. I'm thinking I'm going to take UVA here. And it does seem crazy, and I'll probably end up regretting this. But I think UVA wins by two touchdowns just based on the fact that UNC, they had two close calls, didn't go their way. They're going to be coming down, and UVA is on the way up. And UVA hasn't peaked yet. I'm hoping it happens before they play us. I'm I'm really struggling with this one. Nine points is a lot. Um, and UNC actually sucks. So I this is a this is the most brutal line that I think is on the slate. I'm gonna go UNC. Yeah, I'm gonna go UNC. I don't feel good about that. I you know, I can't argue with someone taking the points in this situation. <laughs> Next game, Duke at Pitt. Let's not spend too much time here. I'm going to take Duke. I think Pitt stinks. Yeah, Duke, this uh, this is easy money, I think, for this week. Next game, NC State at Syracuse. NC State dropped to number 22 after losing, and they're two-and-a-half-point favorites on the road. I'll go first again. I'm taking Qs, and I think they're going to win outright. Oh, I like that. Um. I'm going to go bounce back, so I'll go the opposite. So 
again, I don't feel great about that, but I'll I'll just go with it. So I'm, so you're taking NC State? Yeah, after the drubbing that they just took from Clemson. The last game we're going to pick, we're going outside the ACC because I don't want to pick uh, Wake Forest and Louisville because that sounds lame. So Florida and Georgia, world's biggest cocktail party. Uh, Florida is the away team, not that it matters because it's in Jacksonville. Georgia getting seven and a half points as the favorite in a neutral site. Seems like a lot of points. I'm taking the ninth-ranked Florida Gators against the seventh-ranked Georgia Bulldogs. I'll take Georgia. So, Oh. See, you know what? Now that I'm thinking about it, that line seems way too big. And if you go by my normal philosophy, that would mean I should have taken Georgia. But Yeah, I know. It just seems like too many points in this rivalry. Like This game always seems to go the opposite yeah. of the way you think it's going to go. Well, it's a weird year. So um, It is a strange year. Especially Georgia with gets- Florida. Sudden, like, Florida decided to show up. Like It's like they finally, like, um, you know, they exercised the demons of Tim Tebow, and now they're, like, ready to restart, you know, everything again. And they've been doing a good job of it. All right, man. I know our thoughts were a little bit scattered when it came to Georgia Tech. I think that's how it is every year. I I know when we first did this podcast year one, I remember doing the Georgia Tech pod and we were like all over the map. And I kind of felt like that's how we were tonight. And that's what the triple option does to you. It's confusing and it screws up our defense and it can screw up us even at times. It's not normal football. Like we are, well, okay, here you go. When you look at the press conferences from the past few days from the players, they said we do not plan for Georgia Tech the way that we play for plan for every other team on the schedule. So guess what? This is what you get. If the players themselves and the coaches themselves are are thinking about things that differently for this one game, well, that's kind of where my head is at as well. Because you know we've had teams that have been vastly better than them worse than them and in between and the the win versus loss has been all over the board i know i know i i really do think we're a clearly better football team whether that comes out on the field is probably going to be due to turnovers and energy levels and all that kind of thing and we can't preview that we we can give you all the stats and we can tell you that georgia tech has a terrible defense but while I think I'd take the over in the game, this game could easily end 13-10. Like, there's, there is simply no way to know. We didn't know game one how it was going to go versus Florida State, and it proved to go in a direction that it was very difficult to predict. This is probably going to have a similar effect. Like, we could win 39-10. to We could also lose 39-10. to Like, I, I really have no idea. I think I would be pretty startled if we... And then I'll probably jinx us here. I would be startled if we get just like blown out. Like a, like a 40 to 10 game would be, uh, I don't see that happening. Like them winning by a touchdown, I see happening. Mm-hmm. Us yeah. blowing them out like a 40 to 10, I see possible. So like there's only one scenario in my mind, and this is just me, that I don't see possible is like getting blown out in this game. Um, I see us potentially blowing them out. I don't think there's a high likelihood of that. I think I, well, this is a good um, poll question we could put on Twitter later this week is that what, 
is the most likely result in your head? And we, we put out the four results. Blowout by tech, close win by tech, close win by GT, blowout by GT. Yeah. And we'll see what comes back because I think that what me and you are thinking is probably right on. Either a narrow win for GT or VT or a, G, or a VT blowout. The other, the G, GT blowout seems like the lowest case scenario, which now I'm scaring the crap out of myself by even saying that. Well, that that's a, that's a pack it up we're done for the season type scenario. Which, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. That's fine. We still have 2019 and 2020 and the future beyond. But if we get blown out by GT, this team will make a will make a bowl. Like I'm pretty pretty confident of that, but um we'll all be done for like expectations. Yeah. It's going to make a it's going to make going to a bowl a little bit more difficult though. So let's let's hope for the best. I think we've expressed to the fan base that we're nervous, but optimistic, cautiously optimistic, as they say. So we'll go from there. Hit us on Twitter. It's at 2DVT, Instagram at 2DVT as well. 2DVT at gmail.com and our website, 2DVT.com. You can check the stats for the QBs, all of our beers, stream all the podcasts. Rate, review, subscribe on Apple Podcasts as well. And until next time, go Hokies.